Jackson's uh, exposition of this passage uh, really helped me to understand this passage in a much better way uh, through um, hearing his sermon on this passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, uh, we are grateful for your word. Uh, We willingly submit to it because uh, in your word we find the words of life. In your word we meet uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he is revealed to us. I pray that you would uh, help us to uh, love as he calls us to love, to love as he loves, and so bring glory and honor to him and be his representatives here on earth. We ask through his name, amen. We are smack in the middle of a very difficult period in the civic sphere of our country's history. Uh, The House of Representatives is set to vote on articles of impeachment on Wednesday. Uh, This is coming after a week where the explosive Inspector's General uh, report confirmed that the FBI misled the FISA court in order to surveil people in the president's campaign. And then on top of this, we are less than 11 months away from a presidential election. This is the crazy season. I read in a news article recently that said several decades ago or a generation ago, partisanship was something that took the ballot, that people took to the ballot box. Today is something that we bring home and take to bed. It is very personal and it's very visceral. As a nation, we are poised to become even more divided over the next weeks and months. The temptation to attach hate to our political opponents is going to be strong. But Christ has explicitly forbidden His people to get involved in the hate. We are to be politically active. We are to to challenge lies told in the political arena. We're citizens of this great nation, as well as being citizens of heaven. But we cannot and must not join in the hate. Look uh, a few verses ahead of the passage that Justin read. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, But love your enemies, and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and, and the evil. Who are the unkind and the, and the, um, or, or the ungrateful and the evil that He was kind to? He was kind to us. We were His enemies. We were living in disobedience to Him. We were living in rebellion to the God of heaven. And He was kind to us and gave us a Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be tempted to answer that uh, Jesus is only talking about enemies of the church that we are to love. But frankly, many typically label political enemies as enemies of the church. 
we are called to love our enemies indiscriminately, without qualification, without equivocation. How do we love our enemies? Well, we asked that question two weeks ago as we examined Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. Jesus is continuing to answer that question as we press forward into verses 37 through 40. In fact, there's a lot of momentum, tremendous momentum, from verses 27 into verses 37 and 40 and actually 41 and 42. This passage is talking about how we are to love our enemies. Jesus commands in verses 37 and 38 to judge not, to condemn not, to forgive, and also going into verse 38, to give generously. And these commands will likely be misread unless we see their relationship to His command to love our enemies. Uh, Verse 37 is not just loosely connected to the context for love for enemies. It is integral to it. Christ commands to love, to love well, to love our enemies are certainly challenging to obey. Even as Christians empowered with the Holy Spirit, even as Christians with new hearts that want to obey, to love our enemies is difficult. So I'd ask you silently, but fervently, even right now, to ask God to help you to be eager to grow in your love for others, even as you hear this sermon. The first of Christ's commands in verse 37 is the most confusing. Uh, If you can get what Jesus is saying when He says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. If you can get that, if you understand that, then the rest of what He's saying in verses 37 and 38 will, I think, fall into place. Uh, So first of all, I should mention that Jesus is not saying that we are to suspend all moral judgments. That's impossible. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what is intended here at all. Uh, This passage is one of the most misused passages in all the Bible. When you're talking to a non-Christian, you often hear, Do not judge. Jesus said it. So what is Jesus saying when he says we are to judge not? Jesus is saying that love demands that we make charitable judgments. I think the meaning can be broken down into three different categories. If we're going to make charitable judgments, then we must avoid harsh and severe judgments. The church is a community of sinners that is in relationship with God, and we are in relationship with God only because of His grace. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus shed in our behalf, but we remain sinners. By definition, none of us deserve the privilege of having a relationship with God, including your pastor. We are members of the body of Christ only because God has been merciful to us. Look at verse 36. The verse right ahead of our passage. 
the verse that runs us into verse 37. He says, be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Because we are a community of sinners, every one of us is going to sin. We have on our Sunday best behavior uh, when we come to church. But over the next week, each one of us is going to fail in our obedience to God. We're going to fail in multiple and in appalling ways. All of you know that about yourself. (laughs) It's true of all of us. Romans 7 describes our typical Christian experience when the Apostle Paul says, I delight in the law of God, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man that I am. Is that your experience? I love God. I love His law. There's something else at work in me. The flesh. Self. Self-love. That wages war within me. And I fail and I learn each and every day what a wretched man that I am. And so Jesus is telling us, therefore, that we are hypocrites when we show contempt for those who fail or when we project a sense of moral superiority over those who sin, even over those who are sinning against us. Remember the context. Jesus is telling us how to love our enemies, how to love people who are sinning against us, people who are seeking to persecute us, people who are seeking our harm. And even if we don't outwardly judge them, but only secretly judge them in our heart, Jesus says that we are sinning and opening ourselves to the judgment of God because we ourselves are sinners too. So he says, judge not and you will not be judged. A second category of judging is when we jump to conclusions without knowing all the facts. I had a friend, he was a, an elder in my previous church, and he said that he had the gift of intu- intuition. Now, my wife has the gift of intuition. I imagine many of the ladies in here, I just marvel at how women are able to intuit things and know things before before I'm able to, you know, it might be three weeks before I figure it out. But my friend, when he would come to a conclusion, and it would be a pretty quick conclusion, sometimes he was spectacularly right. And I just would marvel. But then other times he was spectacularly wrong. And he did harm to people when he judged before knowing all the facts. When people sin, we rarely know the full story. People's motivations are often mixed. And so when we're, if we're judging harshly, and we don't know exactly what's going on, we're liable 
to be very hurtful uh, without justification. Jumping to conclusions and writing people off based on those conclusions is wrong. It's unloving. It's being, un- it's being judgmental. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, wants to believe the best. Love wants to understand the other person so that we can help them pursue the grace of Christ themselves. Love says, I want to be restored. I want that other person to be restored. Love wants the best for that person and believes the best for that person. And so we must embody the grace of Christ to help them obtain grace when we have someone whether it be in the church or a family member or a neighbor or a a rank unbeliever, in order that we can help them obtain God's grace. Now, a third category of judgments that we must avoid are judgments based on personal preference. The Bible's not a rule book. It reflects God's holiness. There are laws and commands in the Scriptures. But it's not just one page after another, after another, after another of different um, do's and don'ts. Most of the laws, in fact, fit under the Ten Commandments. And several times we're told in the Bible that the law is summarized by loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Romans 13.10 says that love is fulfilling the law. In other words, there is a wide range that falls under Christian liberty. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. And He has given us a vast sphere uh, of freedom as we serve Him. You don't have to dress like I dress. I don't have to live where you live. There's a vast amount of Christian freedom. People are free to make differing decisions based on differing priorities. But the church can be a very judgmental place where we judge um, or where we place personal preferences on par with Scripture and judge others who make different decisions than we do. There are whole denominations that are built on issues of personal preference if you step outside that preference, you are ostracized from the community of faith. Oftentimes, the judgment doesn't result in confrontation, but it results in gossip behind a person's back. You know what so-and-so did? Look at what they're wearing. And yes, there are moral judgments in regard to what people wear. And decisions we make that fall under the Ten Commandments, that fall under the righteousness of God. But there's also this freedom. And we take personal preference and put it on par with Scripture and start judging other people. We've become judges with evil thoughts. 
judgmentalism is a cancer upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judgmentalism promotes harshness. Judgmentalism tears people apart. Judgmentalism hinders reconciliation. Judgmentalism obscures the grace of Christ before a watching world. That's why Jesus addressed it so strongly in His opening instructions to His newly selected disciples. A judgmental spirit leads to a condemning spirit. Look again at verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. And then if you have a judgmental, condemning spirit, it also hinders you from having a forgiving spirit. And so he continues verse 37. I'll just start again at the beginning. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus calls us to forgive regardless of the wrong committed against us. When forgiveness is sought from us, forgiveness must be given. Even if a person is not seeking your forgiveness, your heart must be prepared to forgive. Forgiveness is not warranted where a person says, does not ask for forgiveness But your heart should yearn to forgive them. Your heart should be prepared to forgive. Your heart should be longing for them to come to you. And if they don't come to you, you go to them. Because forgiveness is so uh, uh, a priority in your heart and in your life because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus who has received His forgiveness. Before I move on to verse 37, I want to make two broad applications. First, if you are to so love your enemies that you are to avoid making harsh or severe or inadequately informed judgments, can you see how wicked it is to make judgments based on simply on somebody's race or their social standing or their education or the clothes that they wear? Listen to James chapter 4, I'm sorry, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. James pulls no punches here, and he's speaking to the church. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a man, and I'm sorry, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you're judgmental, you are acting contrary to love. Second application. Have you noticed how the world always quotes, you know, the the first half of verse 37? Judge not. Yet the world is so severe in their judgments. Can you see the irony of this? Someone utters a politically incorrect phrase, and there are those who judge and condemn in the most severe manner. Now, where the world 
in their political correctness lines up with Scripture. <laughs> well, you know, love, you know, another person. Uh, that's great. But I, I just want to say political correctness has nothing to do with love. It's only a means to try and control people's thoughts and words. Moving on to verse 38. Our judgments must also be generous. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. And I'll just stop right there for the moment. This ties in directly with verse uh, 30 and 31 and also verse 34. So verse 30, if you look back up, uh, Jesus says, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The golden rule. And then again, verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And so this helps us remember that Jesus, what he's saying in verses 27 through 35 or 36, continues on in verse 37, 38 and following. So what does it mean to be generous in our judgments? It means to be generous in your love toward your enemies. It means that you are to be generous in your mercy toward them. It means that you are to be generous towards those who do not like you. It means you are to be generous in your forgiveness with those who have mistreated you. The world says, look out for number one. The world is harsh and quick to judge. The world thinks that a person has the right to nurse a resentment and hate one's enemies. But Christianity is so different from the world. Following Christ is not easy. But the love that Christ commands and that He expects from His children is based on how He has loved us. Christ loved us when we were His enemies. He died for us on the cross when we were rebellious to, to God. We continue to sin against Him. And He is gracious. He is patient. He is full of mercy toward us. He never looks to judge, but only to bless. Listen to His promise to His disciples in verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. How is He going to give to us? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, over or running over, will be put into your lap. And then He restates the, the uh, golden rule um, here uh, by way of illustration. Um, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Or, or by way of application, I should say. He packs in the blessings that He gives to us. He so yearns to bless His children. Those of you who are parents. Christmas is coming up. You want to bless your children. And your generosity and desire to bless pales in comparison with God's desire to bless you because you are His child. 
Because Jesus is speaking of the future leadership of the church in verses 39 and 40. He tells them a parable of the importance of setting the pace in loving their enemies. Listen to what he says in verses 39 and 40. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The church um, was only going to go, after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, the church was only going to go where the leadership led it. If the, if the disciples were self-centered, if they were unwilling to love their enemies, if they were judgmental, guess what the personality of the church would become? The church would end up in the ditch of irrelevancy and worldliness. The leadership of the disciples was essential because most of the world was illiterate at the time. Most of the early Christians could not even read the Bible for themselves. They couldn't walk into a Christian bookstore and buy a book on how to live the Christian life. They were entirely dependent on their leaders to teach them. And if their leaders were self-centeredly blind, where would the church end up? In the ditch. So it would be inevitable that the congregation would become just like the teachers. If the disciples did not love their enemies like Christ loved sinners, then the church would not have survived into the second generation. Verses 39 and 40 are a little uncomfortable for me because they're aimed directly at me as the pastor of this congregation. You know, I tell people in jest, I put the West in Westminster. Well, there's more truth in that than they might realize. And there's a lot of West in this congregation, and not all of it is good. Since examining this passage a couple of weeks ago, I've spent a lot of time repenting of my own self-love and my lack of courage and leadership. And because I know, being a leader, Jesus says, it infests the congregation, for good or for evil. Now, this is a Presbyterian church where the leadership is shared, and so it extends to the elders as well. Jesus lays a high burden on the leaders of the church for whom he shed his own blood. The application of this passage extends beyond the leadership of the church. It extends to parents as well. Who you are as parents will greatly affect who your children become. Look again at verse 40. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Parents, you are making disciples of yourself, intentionally or unintentionally. Will that result in your children drawing nearer to Christ or living a more worldly life? I want to make two final applications and then we'll be done. First, in case you are thinking that Jesus is just making suggestions here about how to love your enemies, rather than is seriously giving commands to his church, 
Um, I want you to listen to a parable he told the Pharisees who were not taking him seriously about his command to be eager to love and quick to forgive. The parable is found in Matthew 18. He said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. However much that was, it was a lot. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And for his wife to be sold. And for his children to be sold. Along with all that he possessed in order to that the payment may be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for the, for the man, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt entirely. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a pittance compared to 10,000 talents. And he seized him, and he began to choke him, it says, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported this to the Uh, to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, uh, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus concludes this parable by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Again, Jesus said, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then secondly and lastly, because the world is so self-focused and so unequated with Christ's radical love, when we seek to love others uh, like Christ loves us, it makes an impact. It is so completely different than what the world experiences day in and day out. Over this next year with the political season in full swing, you're going to be presented with many temptations to judge. Many temptations to condemn. Uh, You're going to be confronted with many temptations to be unforgiving as the politicians try and pit one citizen against another in order to win a vote. But remember, each temptation is an opportunity for you to choose a different path. To choose to love as Christ loves you. You can love like Christ loves. And then you can be a powerful witness to the life-transforming power of the gospel. With God's help, 
Remember, the Holy Spirit has made your heart His home. He lives in you. He has transformed you. You are a new creation in Christ. Before you give back wrong for wrong, stop, pray, plead with God, and ask Him to help you love those who have hurt you, who have sinned against you, because our Lord Jesus has so loved you. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a difficult passage because it hits us right uh, in the solar plexus of our self-centeredness. God, we thank you for our Lord Jesus that he so loves us. Lord, we're willing and eager to judge not, to condemn not, to forgive whoever has wronged us because Christ has so loved us. But Lord, we confess it's not easy. Help us, God, we ask. Help us to look outside our own interest. Help us to love our brother and sister. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to love even our enemy. Because Christ has loved us, we ask in His name. Amen.